Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. You know me. I'm the host, but you also know the co-host. He's here every week. His name is Padawan J. Let me talk to you. Yeah, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports. <laughs> when we were putting the show together, we thought it may be a, a pretty short episode. No, 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 no. We have a lot to deep dive into in the land of sports, and we definitely want to keep that conversation going, don't we, Pat? Yeah, the script writers heard that and went, mm, bet. Yep. So after the show, after everybody hears the episode and wants to keep that conversation going, mm. Pat, where do they go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the website. Check out all the social media accounts. Follow, subscribe, interact. That's what we love doing with all the ODPH society. So we definitely want to have those conversations with everybody in between episodes. Also, check out the T-Public store link. It is holiday time. There are sales happening mm-hmm. here, there, everywhere. So you just have to keep your eyes open when things are going to be going on sale for some ODPH swag, and that's the best thing that we see. Not that we do any sales, but, you know, it's always cool just seeing the brand out there where people are supporting it in that manner. So it's always very cool to see, and Public has been great with us. So you never know when stuff's going to happen on sale there. We, you know, we have an idea, but that's why we just say you go to the website, click, and find out for yourselves. That's simple. Also, check out the Patreon link, one tier, $2 a month, and shout out to all our amazing patrons. Boy, do they have some bonus content this week. Yeah, they do. Just putting that out there. So if you want to find out what that's going on, well, you got to sign up. It's that simple. Also, check out the blog section where we always have reviews dropping on a wide variety of topics, a parlay of topics, if you will. Also, the directory. Pat, how many providers are we on? 114,000. Sounds about right to me. He is the statistician to the stars, and I do not question that uh, factual information. Never. Just putting it out there. Also, you can check out the classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, Nerd Initiative. Boy, is there a lot going on over there. I wish I could talk about but that's why we say you go over to the their information, click on, subscribe, follow, and you'll be caught up to date. And I won't have to spoil anything, and I won't have to get an angry uh, email saying that I'm talking too much. Also, while you're at the website, check out the music section, where we have information for Brian Wolf and the Howlers. Second Suitor, who just has a new single dropping this week. Mm-hmm. Floodlands, who has new music coming. I'll say Brian Wolf announcing today he's making a run through Binghamton here in the near future. Yeah, that's why I say there's a lot of moves happening there. So shout out the Robots and Thomas Olu are playing some shows together. That's a fantastic ticket. If you are able to see both of those groups live, go see them. Seriously, go tell them the ODPH sent you. It's great. Also... If it's anything and everything, it is the ODPH. Because I could keep rambling on about the website. You just go to ODPHpodcast.com. It's that simple. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. But you came to hear some sports. We are here to talk some sports. Let's kick it off how we always do during the football season. And that is recap the week that was in the NFL with our locks and leaps. Pad, kick us off. Yeah, so we're going to start with one of my locks, which was the Seattle Seahawks to defeat the Washington Commanders, which they did. And this was a goddamn video game winning by the final score of 29 to 26 
Uh, Geno Smith, 31 of 47 for 369 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Sam Howell, 29 of 44 for 312 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Brian Robinson Jr. led Washington in rushing with eight carries, 38 yards, no touchdowns. Kenneth Walker III, 19 carries, 63 yards, and no touchdowns for Seattle. Uh, DK Metcalf led Seattle in receiving because, of course, he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven catches, 98 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Tyler Lockett and Kenneth Walker III both had a touchdown reception themselves. Uh, and then on Washington, Brian Robinson Jr. led the way for Washington. Six catches, 119 yards receiving, one touchdown. Uh, also got a shout-out, Antonio Gibson and Dwami Brown also got touchdown receptions themselves. Well, this game went a lot of different directions, I thought. Mm -hmm. Seattle, we have said for quite some time, is flying under the radar, so to speak. Again. Again, which is really crazy to think about. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, when you play in the same division as arguably the best team in football, the San Francisco 49ers, you're going to get overlooked. But at this stage, they're six and three. They're the currently the five seed. Yeah, they're they're the highest not a division leader seed in the NFC because of course first four are the division leaders: Philly, Detroit, San Fran, and the New Orleans. Mm-hmm. After that, you get into the non division leaders, and Seattle's uh, number five. Yeah, which is crazy to think about that they're not getting enough uh, recognition, mm-hmm. and it, it's crazy. Because Geno Smith, I mean, has found it finally. He's found the fountain of youth. He's found something because he is playing very, very well. Kenneth Walker III is being very smart with his carries. And once you get the wide receiver core going, Seattle is a very, very tough team to beat. On the flip side here, though, I don't want to say this is a good loss because, I mean, let's face it, that's a very odd statement. Mm -hmm. But... I have been seeing progression from Sam Howell with the tutelage of Eric Bedemy. Right. So you are seeing Washington still in some games. Bum, yeah. bum, 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 Granted, they're not fully there yet. The offense is carrying this team a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, completely. Well, when they decide to go trade away their best defenders, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is, that's going to hurt you. But the fact that they were still in this game. Yeah. Does speak volumes to the offensive I side. I mean, this, this, and this, you can even say that before they traded away some of their defensive stars. I mean, this team, if you look at the results this season, live and die by how their offense does. Mm-hmm. They beat Arizona twenty to sixteen. They beat Denver thirty five to thirty three. Lost to Buffalo thirty seven to three. Lost to Philly in overtime, mind you, thirty four thirty one. Lost to Chicago forty to twenty. Beat Atlanta twenty four sixteen. Uh, they lost to the Giants 14 to seven. Uh, lost to Philly 38-31. Uh, beat New England by by 20 uh, 20 to 17, and then they lost to Seattle by 29-26. Like they're giving up a lot of points each week, and it's a matter of is the offense clicking? Because clearly, based off of those numbers, I can I'm, I read off to you. It's not exactly a shutout, lights out defense. No, by no means. And that's the one thing that Washington needs to address this off season. Yeah. The question is, will Ron Rivera still be the head coach then? I would say yes, but on a very short leash. I mean, that's that's the only big asterisk right now it, about it, how it they're sh- doing. They're showing promise. Yeah, they're showing a you lot know, of promise. They're showing that Sam Howell might be the guy for him. Now, will he get him over the, the summit to the promised land of a Super Bowl? Eh, maybe, maybe not. Time will tell. You know, that's why they play the games. You know, but. You know, it, I think it's going to be with a short leash because it's like, okay, you, you're doing good and you're winning some games, but you're also four and six. Right. You know, the expectations were high. 
you know, and, and has he met him? Uh, to me, he's gotten close. You know, it's not a fireable offense. It's a, you know what, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, but it's a fool me once, fool me twice type scenario. Well, it's a situation that for Washington, eventually you have to turn the corner. Yeah. The Dan Snyder effect is gone. Yeah. So this season, as weird as it is to say, you're all you're playing with no expectations. Nope. Because nobody knew how you're going to react to the changing of ownership. Next season is going to be the big telling sign right now. Mm-hmm. But I think for how they scrapped in this game, especially being in Seattle, which is notorious for its home crowd, mm-hmm. I thought Washington made some good moves. I thought they have some potential to really make a run down the road. They could. But I think for this season, it's it, it's already done. But this is also against one of the premier teams in the NFL, and Seattle should get a lot of praise for how they're playing. (coughs) Excuse me, absolutely. So we'll have to kind of wait to see how things move forward. But for Washington, a good loss, but something to really kind of draw some attention to free agents for next year. There's a a shot they could still make the playoffs. I mean, they're currently sitting at the ninth seed in the NFC with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers right ahead of them at four and five. Yeah. So, you know, they could still make it in there. We'll see. They could, but look at that schedule and then – yeah, that's that's a big question yeah. mark right uh, now. So the next couple of games for the Washington Commanders, they are at home against the New York Giants this upcoming Sunday. Then on uh, Thanksgiving, they are on the road in Dallas. Week after that, they're at home against the Miami Dolphins, and then they've got a bye week in Week 14. Uh, and should note that to close out the year, they've got the Rams, Jets, 49ers, and Dallas. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, And then for the Seattle Seahawks this upcoming Sunday, they are on the road playing the Los Angeles Rams. Following that, they are on Thursday Night Football playing the San Francisco 49ers. Of course, that that one is on uh, Thanksgiving, so that'll be on NBC. That'll be the late game. Uh, Week 13, they are on the road playing the Dallas Cowboys. That one's on proper Thursday Night Football, so that one will be on Amazon Prime. Uh, And then week 14, they're on the road again uh, playing the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, That one will be a late game on Fox for week 14. Yeah, so I think for Washington, their hopes, eh, Mm -hmm. it's it's good to dream. Yeah. I will say that, but I think that schedule is going to be too much. I mean, Dallas twice, Miami. (laughs) You, they're going to have some problems, especially yeah. on the defensive side of the ball. For for a team that has an issue stopping teams on defense and lives and dies by their offense, they're about to go up against two juggernaut offenses. Yeah, they're, oh. they can't compete this year. Next year, maybe, but maybe. this year, not so much. Speaking of living out your dreams, uh, that's what the quarterback in Minnesota's got to be doing right now. One would say, Yeah, let's talk about this. One would say he's living his Disney movie uh, moment here. Uh, so my leap uh, was the Minnesota Vikings to beat the New Orleans Saints, which they did by the final score of 20, uh, it's 30. 27 to 19. Joshua Dobbs, 23 34 for 268 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, Derek Carr did start this game, uh, went 13 of 18 for 110 yards passing, no touchdowns or interceptions. He did leave at one point during the game, though, and went into concussion protocol, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. So Jameis Winston stepped in and went 13 of 25 for 122 yards passing, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Alvin Kamara led New Orleans in rushing with nine carries, 42 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Ty Chandler led up Minnesota in rushing with 15 carries, 45 yards, just one touchdown. And then in receiving, TJ Hawkinson led Minnesota in receiving 11 catches, 134 yards, just one touchdown. And then Chris Olave led New Orleans in receiving with six catches, 94 yards, and one touchdown. Well, the story here is easy. 
Joshua Dobbs. Uh-huh, and he's doing this without Jefferson. Mm-hmm. This is crazy to think about. I believe the stat line is Jefferson out of the lineup. They're they're 5-0 and with him in the lineup. They're 1-4. and Yeah, it's, it's something like that. He's been sitting on my bench on fantasy because I'm waiting for him to come back. You know, but... Because if you think I'm dropping Justin Jefferson for fantasy, you're nuts. <laughs> I know. A lot of fantasy football owners are, are waiting with bated breath mm-hmm. to see when he's coming back. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, though, Minnesota is quietly putting together some wins. Obviously, the Disney-like story that you're talking about with Joshua Dobbs continues onward. Currently, second place in the NFC North at six and four, behind Detroit, who is seven and two. And then, if you look at the playoff standings, they are currently in the seventh seed, mm-hmm. uh, tie or right behind Dallas at the sixth with a record of six and three. Well, the one thing that Dobbs does better than Cousins is Dobbs does have a little more mobility. Yeah, so that does change the dynamic. Now. The big question moving forward, though, is how quickly are teams going to pick up on this? Mm-hmm. And that is going to be something that Minnesota and their offensive uh, gurus are going to need to figure out quickly. Right, right. Because the story is great right now, but if you're going to make that run in the playoffs, and obviously everything relies on Dobbs to be healthy and carry them through, yeah, they're going to have to really show some different looks. They're going to have to do things a little differently. But they are winning where they need to be winning, right? And I mean the the stat line's sexy. I mean three touchdowns between the two in the for his first two games with Minnesota and four hundred and twenty six yards passing, you know. But 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 there's always a but. Mm-hmm. It's against Atlanta, who is as we record sitting at third place in the NFC South with a record of four and six, and then it's also against New Orleans, who is sitting at uh, actually in first place in the NFC South with a record of five and five. So not the best teams. No, but they're doing what good teams do, and that's beat the lesser teams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, New Orleans, we, we said this year, I mean, arguably is in the worst division in all football. Uh-huh. Yeah, they are. Uh, New Orleans is the only team in that division at 500, and they're in first place. Everybody else is below 500, and then there's the Panthers. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there really isn't anything to talk about with New Orleans. No. They're, they're, they're not good. They're not bad. They're I mean, just there. Jameis had a hell of a highlight when he first came in that game mm-hmm. oh. that, that's a positive yeah i mean but that's the only thing you can talk about with them yeah but for minnesota that's where the story goes yeah and now seeing how dobbs has that offense moving is huge maybe he's learned their names this week i would think so <laughs> well i think the one thing that with success he's going to breed some content yeah he is now going to have defensive coordinators analyzing his film mm-hmm. and really making some adjustments. So this is where, to go back to the point I'm, I'm making with this, is like this is great to celebrate now. The Disney story is there. Yep. However, in reality, they're going to really need to throw something different into the mix, mm-hmm. and they're going to have to really deal with some competition coming down, yeah. the, coming down the schedule yeah. if they're going to be contenders. Yeah. Because well. right now they're kind of borderline pretenders. So looking at the team schedules the next couple of weeks, uh, for the New Orleans Saints, they are on a bye week this week, and then they come out of that on the road playing the Atlanta Falcons. Then they're at home against the Detroit Lions, and then they're at home against the Carolina Panthers in Week 14. For those Minnesota Vikings, uh, this upcoming Sunday, they are on the road playing the Denver Broncos on uh, Sunday Night Football. Then they're on Monday Night Football the week after that at home playing the Chicago Bears. Then they're on a bye week in week 13, and they come out of the bye week on the road playing the Las Vegas Raiders Uh, in Vegas. That one is a late game on Fox. Hmm. Well, I think they'll start 
ramping up on the competition yeah. as they get past Chicago. At, well, at, uh, yeah, so you got Chicago by week, then they got the Raiders, Bengals, and then the last three weeks of the season, Detroit, Green Bay, Detroit. Yeah, that's Oh, the, by the way, I, did I mention Detroit's in first place right now? Yeah, that's that's going to be the true test for them. Until then, hey, congratulations. Yeah. Keep, keep riding that big, big you know, feel of energy because you know what? It's a feel good story. Mm-hmm. So like I say, enjoy the positivity Yeah, because there's a lot to enjoy there. Much like there is in Houston. Yeah. Holy shit. Which I mean, I, this was my lock this week, not Houston. I went with Joe Burrow. I figured Joey B everybody was back on track. I said the CJ Stroud experiment has to get slowed down some somehow, some way against a, a contending team. And he continues to prove me wrong. Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, Houston is winning gritty. Yeah, they are. Let's talk about it. So, yeah, Houston beat Cincinnati 30-27. to CJ Stroud went 23-39, 356 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Joe Burrow went 27-40 for 347 yards passing, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Joe Mixon led Cincy in rushing with 11 carries, 46 yards, just one touchdown. Devin Singletary led Houston in rushing with 30 carries, 150 yards rushing, one touchdown. Uh, And then for receiving, Noah Brown led Houston in receiving with seven catches, 172 yards, no touchdowns. And Jamar Chase led Cincinnati in receiving because, of course, he did. Mm -hmm. Five catches on six targets, 124 yards receiving, one touchdown. Oh, by the way, Tyler Boyd on 12 targets made eight catches, 117 yards, and no touchdowns. Good Lord. Yeah, this is wild. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. there's no other way to describe it. This was a real video game. This is like Rock'em Sock'em Robots. But the C.J. Stroud experiment is proving a lot of people wrong, yours truly. Your, yours and mine. Yeah, because I honestly didn't think he was going to be playing this well. This is a huge win for Houston. Mm-hmm. Absolutely huge. This was gritty. Albeit, though, Cincinnati, I have more questions coming out of this game. Sure. That I that I was originally thinking we were going to have, but for Houston, this is the narrative. Their young draft picks are really stepping up. Mm-hmm. They're playing with no regard. They're leaving it all on the field. They're exciting to watch. And granted, a lot of them are not your you know big headline grabbers, mm-hmm. but they're going out and they're balling. Yeah, and that's what you want as a fan. And if they can carry this forward, I'm not saying playoffs are out of the question. Right. I'm really not. Right. And if they get in, they could be a sleeper team to pull some upsets. I'm not saying punch their ticket to Vegas for the Super Bowl. Right. But what I am saying is they could make a run if they keep playing like they're doing. Yeah. And they're going to give teams fits as the season is progressing now. Yeah, and the stats that, I mean, we got to give Stroud his, his due. The numbers this dude is putting up is absolutely insane. So for the year, he has 2,626 yards passing, 15 touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, the rec- rookie record for passing yards in a season was set by Andrew Luck in 2012. Uh, so he's got a little bit of a way to go there. But if you look up, you know, the most passing yards by a rookie in a season, he's getting close to, like, starting to enter the conversation because Teddy Bridgewater in 2014 – pass for two two thousand nine hundred, so he's he's right there but then mm-hmm. you look at for the season he is he being cj stroud is number two in the nfl in passing yards behind sam howell at number one yeah which is insane that's insane 
it's insane to think about, but like I say, when you are not being considered a legitimate contender, right? there's a big chip on his shoulder. And I think for him too, especially being the second pick overall, that's that can motivate some people. Well, and especially like you said, the chip on his shoulder going to a team where it's like, okay, yeah, you're going to suck for a few years. You know, so get ready to suffer. And mm-hmm. he, he turned around and went, mm, let's see about that. Yeah, which I applaud him for. That's something you want as a leader on that team. Yeah. And as a fan, you want to get motivated by this. So there's a lot of upside with Houston right now. Yeah, because he's got him right now in second place in the AFC South, 5-4 and four record behind Jacksonville in first at record of 6-3. and three. And then if you look at the playoff standings, uh, Houston is currently the seventh seed. Hmm. Well, like I say, they can keep this momentum up. I'm not yeah. saying they can't overtake that AFC South and, and – that could be a huge game for them if they can get a home field game out of this. I mean, clearly they've got their guy at quarterback. The running game seems to be working for them. You know, get a couple more pieces on uh, receiving because Noah Brown, if I'm not mistaken, is a tight end. And mm-hmm. Dalton Schultz was their number two receiver with four catches, 71 yards. So, you know, it, it's fine. It'll win you games with two rece- uh, tight ends being your leading receivers, but you got to go get a number one. Oh, fully agree. You know, so we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, I would be a little concerned if I'm the Bengals. Mm-hmm. And this is where I'm going with this. Houston is not supposed to be on your level. Right. CJ Stroud is playing out of his mind. But the fact that you gave up on your defensive side of the ball, 150 yards rushing mm-hmm. and 172 yards receiving, that's a little scary. And I these mean, are all two individual players. I mean, the only thing I can think of is I'm looking at Cincy's schedule. Maybe they didn't take Houston that seriously because, mm-hmm. because hey, they're you know rookie quarterback, not a lot of stars on offense, and <laughs> they've got a division rival next week on a short week. You know, maybe it, maybe they got caught looking. I think they did, and they cannot afford to do this. Like that's the one thing about the AFC; it's very very close in those playoff spots. Mm-hmm. That you can't overlook anybody. I, I really think they got caught looking because you go into halftime, it's 10 7 Houston, and you're going, oh, okay, whatever. But then both teams score 20 points uh, the remainder of the of the game, mm-hmm. ten, 10 in the third for both, 10 in the fourth for both. I th- I wonder if at some point, maybe around halftime or right after halftime, they went, oh, shit, like these guys are for real. Well, more than likely, yeah. But that's the situation. You you can't rely on your team to turn it on in the second half. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you try doing that as a regular thing, you're going to have a very short playoff stint. Mm-hmm. And I think with Joe Burrow, yeah, he's playing very well, but he's still recovering from mm-hmm. his injuries. And his wide receiver core. I mean, yeah, Jamar Chase always open. Yeah, twenty four seven. Yep, Tyler Boyd had a great game. Yeah, but consistently. Not the case. It's not going to be the case. Like usually, you have one of those two step up and really take over. Right. The fact that yeah, you put up that many yardage in the sky again. It's Houston though. So it's exactly to be expected. It's to be expected. But that's why on the flip side, your defense needs to make a play and they need to shut down a rookie quarterback. And it didn't. Right. When you only have one sack on him the entire game and four QB hits, <laughs> that's a little pause for concern. It's be- not good. Because on the flip side of things, Houston had four sacks, nine QB hits. Right. That's an easy math equation to figure out. Yep. And especially for Cincinnati, which your whole division right now is in the playoffs. Uh-huh. You can't take games like this for light, and this is something that they're going to need to fix soon. Yeah if they're going to be contenders. But this was the glaring thing for me is their defense let Houston hang around and then overtake them late in the game. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so looking at the schedule the next couple of weeks uh, for Cincinnati, as I alluded to this upcoming Thursday, they are on the road playing the Baltimore Ravens. Week 12, they're at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Week 13, on the road playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. That one will be on Monday Night Football. Week 14, they are at home against the Indianapolis Colts. And then for the Houston Texans, this upcoming Sunday, they're at home against the Arizona Cardinals. Then they're at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars for Week 12. Week 13, at home against the Denver Broncos. And then Week 14, on the road playing those New York Jets. Hmm. Well, those will be some interesting games as we move Mm -hmm. forward. But speaking of interesting teams, and we talked about the AFC North. Yeah. How about those Pittsburgh Steelers? Oof. I don't. This is blowing my mind. Yeah. That they are six and three right now. Six and three uh, with the exact same record as the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Just want to point that out. Yeah. Which I mean, talk about a tale of two different teams. Which I love. I love that meme I saw, and I, I know I shared it on with, social media. With John Daly. John. Yeah. So it's got Tiger Woods in his professional golf attire. Uh, and then it's got John Daly in front of him in his usual golf attire, which is the most outrageous outfit you can see on a human being on, mm. a, on a golf course. And it's John Daly smoking his traditional cigarette, and uh, it's got the same record. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think about, but that's where we are. The Steelers have been one of the biggest surprises this NFL season. Yeah. And let alone going up against those Green Bay Packers, which... All, all you need is love. Well, you know what? They they almost pulled it off, but yeah. unfortunately, yeah. Uh, love was not enough. Came up a little short, a little late. Uh, yeah, so Pittsburgh won by the final score of 23-19. to Kenny Pickett, 14-23, 126 yards passing. No touchdowns or interceptions. Jordan Love. 21-40, 289 yards passing. Two touchdowns, two interceptions. A.J. Dillon led Green Bay in rushing with nine carries, 70 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Jalen Warren led Pittsburgh in rushing, 15 carries, 101 yards rushing, one touchdown. Uh, Najee Harris also went 16 for 82 with one touchdown in the rushing side. George Pickens led Pittsburgh in receiving with three catches, 45 yards, no touchdowns. And Jaden Reed led Green Bay in receiving with five catches, 84 yards, just one touchdown. Oh, by the way, yeah, if, if we were given uh, receivers a rating, he'd have a perfect receiver rating. Five catches, five targets. Yeah. It's crazy to think about, but check your waiver wires. Yeah, something something Maybe. to consider. Like it, it's 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 wild to think about, but yet here we are with this, and especially for Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. they're winning very gritty. They're they're winning the Pittsburgh Steelers way. Yeah, it ain't sexy, it ain't pretty, but damn it, it works. And especially they have Jalen Warren in the equation too, because mm-hmm. I mean Najee Harris had a great day. Yeah. Uh, average 5.1 yards a carry. But when you can have that problem yeah. of two A-list running backs taking over games for or you. So when you can have two running backs combined for 11.8 yards per carry, that's pretty damn good. Oh, it's amazing. It, it's a huge thing. And I think I, if you ask, I think if you ask the other 31 offensive coordinators in the NFL, would you like to have two running backs average 11.8 yards per carry? They're like, yes, please. Mm-hmm. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, TJ Watt. Had a great day with one sack, two QB hits. I mean, uh, another news: water's wet. Yeah, but you know when you can have that, you know, perfect marriage of offense and defense really yeah. impose a will. Yeah. And granted, Jordan Love played well, but not well enough. It's, yeah, it's it's growing pains. But it's it's something he's going to have to learn because I mean, obviously, the Packers are not a great team. Mm-hmm. I think it's being a very honest statement. Yeah, they really don't have a lot going for them. No, so if they can make some moves in the offseason, that would help. Depends on cap space. Mm-hmm. I mean, their GM is going to have to figure that out. But Yeah, they have to take some uh, team-friendly deals, you know, that really work for the team. 
they're going to need to do something because obviously they're being surpassed in that division. Yeah. By at least two teams right now. Uh, yeah. So looking at the AFC, uh, NFC North, excuse me, uh, the Packers are currently in third place with Detroit and Minnesota ahead of them and then Chicago behind them, although right behind them at three and seven. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's something that if they want to really want to contend and do something moving forward, they're going to need to. Yeah. It just depends if they can actually pull it off. Yeah. But for the Steelers, this is where the, the story goes because it's a it's a tough win. It's one that they needed. Yeah. And they're looking like the Steelers of old per se. I'm per not going to say crown them. but If you want to crown them, crown their ass. But they're playing very well, and that's something for this team that was written off this year. Yeah. That's a huge yeah. win to take home uh, with them. Hey, Steelers currently sitting at the number five selection or five spot uh, in the AFC playoff picture. Mm. Uh, looking at these two teams and their schedules the next couple of weeks for those Green Bay Packers, uh, this upcoming Sunday they are at home against the Los Angeles Chargers. Then on uh, Thanksgiving they are on the road playing the Detroit Lions. Uh, that'll be the twelve thirty game. That'll be Eastern. That'll be on Fox. Uh, week thirteen they are at home against the Kansas City Chiefs. That one will be on Sunday Night Football. And then week fourteen they are on the road play on Monday Night Football playing the New York Giants. Mm. Uh, then. For the Pittsburgh Steelers this upcoming Sunday, they're on the road playing the Cleveland Browns. Then week 12, they're on the road playing the Cincinnati Bengals. Week 13, they're at home playing the Arizona Cardinals. And then week 14, at home against the New England Patriots on Thursday night football. That one's prime video, I should say. Well, we'll have to see how the Steelers do moving forward. I think for the Packers... It's been a nice run. Yeah. I mean, obviously, three and six, and especially in your division, you're not mm-hmm. going to get any further than you are right now. Mm-hmm. But if they can entice some free agents to come there next season, I mean, a lot can happen in the off season. So, I mean, as long as they're looking like a competitive team, that's a big win. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing you can look forward to in this case. Yeah. So before we get out of here, we got to take a quick lap around the league. So let's do it, Pat. Yeah, so the Thursday night game had the Chicago Bears defeat the Carolina Panthers 16-13. to well, Carolina is Carolina. Yeah. I mean, nothing you can really say other than that. And for the Bears, I mean, let's face it. Seth Rollins is happy. Yeah, that's the only thing you can you can, <laughs> you can really look forward to. I mean, Tyson Bagnett, uh, he looked good. 162 yards, no touchdowns, though. Yeah, I mean, but like, like I say, he looked a lot better than he did the week prior. Yeah. And even though the stat line is not great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot better than how it's looking on the Carolina side yeah. of things. Uh, then you had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the t- uh, Tennessee Titans 20-6. to Yeah, surprised at this one. 278 and two touchdowns from Baker. Oof. Yeah. Holy shit. That's a crazy stat line. Yeah. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers defeated the Jacksonville Jaguars 34-3. to Niners doing Niner things. Oh, my God. I mean, the, the only thing here is Christian McCaffrey did not score a touchdown, broke yes. his consecutive uh, scoring streak of yes. 17 games. I think. Uh, comes close, if not tying the NFL record. He does not break the NFL record. Still wild, man. Uh, then you had the Cleveland Browns defeat the Baltimore Ravens on a last-minute field goal kick, winning 33-31. to the Browns might be for real. Yeah, it could be. I mean, their defense is playing insanely good. Browns currently in the number six seed. Yeah, which, I mean, Miles Garrett is carrying a lot on this team. Offensively, yeah. different story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Deshaun Watson, not the Deshaun Watson of old, but somehow, some way, this team is putting up points. So uh-huh. take it as a win. Uh, you had the Arizona Cardinals defeat the uh, Atlanta Falcons 25-23 to in Kyler Murray's uh, return. Who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Atlanta took a big L here. Yeah, they did. Very bad loss for them. Well, it's not about uh, Atlanta in 23. Yeah, mm. it's, it's it's a mm. bad number. Mm. Hmm. 
dot, dot, dot. Uh, you had the uh, Detroit Lions beat the Los Angeles Chargers 41 to 38. Great win for Detroit. Because <laughs> the Chargers, we've always said, is the most inconsistent team in all of football. Yeah, they are. The fact that Detroit went to L.A. and won late, showing signs of promise like we've been waiting to see from this team. But I love the energy they're bringing, and I love how they won this game. So hopefully yeah. they can carry it moving forward. Really like what I'm seeing out of Detroit. Uh, I'm going to stick with one of the later uh, uh, afternoon games here for last before we get to our teams because that one you got to give us some time. Uh, but the Sunday night game, you had the Las Vegas Raiders defeat the New York Jets 16-12. Well, talk about a change of philosophy. Antonio Pierce, 2-0. This team is winning gritty. Mm-hmm. And I know I've used that statement before here, but this is true Raider football. Yeah, it is. And they're winning, like, how they're just going about it, even when the Jets look like they're going to somehow steal this, the Raiders are finding ways to win. Uh, let's see. At halftime, it was 9-6 to six in favor of the Jets. Uh, by the end of the third quarter, it was 9-9. to nine. Uh, Offense optional in this game, clearly. Mm-hmm. And then you had the touchdown from the Raiders in the fourth quarter, whereas the Jets could only put up a field goal. Well, the big thing here is the Raiders' defense came alive when it needed to. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they really held in check a Zach Wilson who played a great game. Yeah. Like that's the one thing that people are forgetting about this because like much like in wrestling, you only remember the finish. You don't remember everything else. Yeah. In this situation, Zach Wilson played very, very well. 263, no touchdowns, one interception. And let's face it. He almost had that Hail Mary at the end. Yeah. If if he'd have thrown it slightly further and the other receiver had realized what was going on. Exactly. If the, if his other receiver realized what had happened, Garrett Wilson would have had that right catch and right. it would have been a whole different ball game. But you can only see so much with the helmet on. Exactly. So it's it's something to to keep in mind, but the the big stat line for me, Brees Hall 13 carries, 28 yards. Yeah. Dalvin Cook. Talk about a fall from grace. Cook ain't been doing Nothing. Squat this year. Nothing. Four four carries, 26 yards. Uh, so for the season, Brees Hall has 107 carries, 521 yards, only two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Fantasy owners got to be fuming. Oh, absolutely. And then Dalvin Cook, 47 carries, 147 yards receipt rushing, uh, zero touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And, and mind you, folks, we're in week 10. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like I say. <laughs> Do the math. 100, 147 divided by 10. Mm-hmm. So Yikes. this is not all on Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson played very well, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. No, Zach Wilson, ex- in my opinion, exceeded expectations. Oh, completely here. But give credit to where credit is due. The Raiders' defense really stepped up. Mm-hmm. And on the offensive side of the ball, Aiden O'Connell is not the guy. No. Completely. No. Like, I, like, 153 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Yeah, he's not moving the needle for anybody, but when you have Josh Jacobs take over a game. (laughs) Yeah, 116 yards rushing, fucking no touchdowns. Especially late in the game, he took over. Yeah. And that's what the Raiders needed. Right. And especially they got Devontae Adams finally involved in the game. Hey, listen, listen. Antonio Pierce had the perfect explanation for this. I know who my number one guy is. I know who I need to get the ball to. Oh, yeah. Pierce, is he gets it. Yeah. And I, I hope. I am saying this publicly. I hope he gets the job very quick as a permanent. Oh, I do too. Because he, in two games, this team looks different. Night and day. Yeah. Even if the scoreboard might not reflect it. He's 2-0, sure. Yeah. And they're winning close games. 
but this team looks motivated. Mm-hmm. They look scary. Yeah. The only thing that doesn't you know move anything is O'Connell. Yeah. Like, but you know what? I can take care of that. Like yeah. that, I can handle that. But that's sad, man. This team is looking good. So. T- they'll have a real test the next two weeks, though. Uh, on the road playing the Miami Dolphins this upcoming Sunday, then at home against the Kansas City Chiefs. I will say this. I think I'm not going to. They'll, they'll split that. How that splits, it's up to you to decide. I think they take the Raiders, or I mean the Chiefs. Ooh. I think they take them. Okay. Miami, the only question mark I have with this defense is their secondary. Yeah. And keeping up yeah. with Tyreek Hill and Waddle. Yeah. yeah. That's that's my only question mark with yeah. the Raiders. Yeah. But I will say this. I would I'm not saying that they're going to lose intentionally. Never the case here. Right. But I would say out of the two games, I will say that the Raiders are looking forward to that Chiefs game more mm-hmm. than the more than Miami. So, yeah. if somebody gets overlooked and they look bad against Miami, I could understand why that some players might not pierce, but I will tell you this is like when any coach goes to the AFC East, right? And it's you. You have to beat New England. You yeah. have to do that. Yeah, that's a situation. So I'm just saying this. I'm not doubting Vegas beats the Chiefs. Yeah, it could be. It just could putting happen. that out there. So lastly, before we get to our teams, how about them Cowboys? Oh, how about them Cowboys? I think the only person that enjoyed this win more than uh, our good buddy Dre Driven is myself. Uh, I had to sit Jalen Hurts this week because Philly's on a bye. Who did I start? Dak Prescott. Same here. Holy fuck, I'm looking pretty. Uh, Dallas whooped, sorry Giants fans, Dallas whooped the absolute shit out of the New York Giants, 49-17 to at one point by halftime because the, the Cowboys had already played the Giants this season. Uh, by halftime, the Cowboys had outscored the Giants 68 to nothing. Yeah. before the Giants even scored a point on them in the third quarter. Uh, so Dak Prescott, 26-35 to for 404 yards passing, four touchdowns, one interception. Tommy DeVito, 14-27 for only 86 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. Saquon Barkley led the Gi- Giants in rushing with 13 carries, 66 yards, no touchdowns. Rico Dowdle led the Dallas in rushing with 12 carries, 79 yards, one touchdown. Dak also had a rushing touchdown. CeeDee Lamb also had a rushing touchdown. Uh, and then you get into the receiving core. Holy fuck, was this like a buffet for these guys. Brandon Cooks led Dallas in receiving with nine catches, 173 yards passing, averaged 19.2 yards uh, catch, one touchdown. C.D. Lamb went 11 for 151 yards receiving, averaged 13.7 yards a catch uh, with one touchdown. Michael Gallup also got in it with two catches on two targets, including one dime of a catch. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. That was gorgeous. Uh, 70 yards uh, with only one touchdown. Uh, And then on the Giants side of things, it was Daniel Bellinger led them in receiving with two catches, 34 yards. Uh, this team set all sorts of records that I can't even get into because we don't have time for. It was like the most yards they put up against, uh, you know, the Giants. It was the most yards they put up against it and a divisional rival and whatever. Like, I know at one point there was like a stat thrown up that was like the most something since like 1962. Yeah. Which was fucking absurd. Uh, for the team, they had 600 and 640 total yards of offense. It was absolutely insane. This game shows two things. One, Dallas is very streaky. Yeah, they are. And C.D. Lamb saying he's the best receiver in, in football. And... Listen, if I'm against the Giants, I could probably put up five, 70, and maybe one. Just putting that out yeah. there. Because the Giants are 
clearly the worst team in football. Well, I don't know about that, but they're not good. I mean, who else do you say is worse? New England. No, I'll say the Giants. If the Giants had to face New England, New England's winning by 10. <laughs> well, hold your bear because that's happening in two weeks. Like I said, we'll wait We'll, we'll wait and see, but I'm going to tell you right now, I think that New England's going to take him. The problem with the Giants is, other than Saquon Barkley, nobody is doing anything on the offensive side of the ball. That's true. And DeVito is not the guy. No. He's really I and I and I appreciate the uh, commentators trying to paint him and they're not trying to bury the kid right and, and the broadcast were like oh you really got to figure out if he's going to be the guy. like dude when he came into the game when Tyrod went down with the injury they did not let him p- complete or, pa- or attempt a pass until overtime mm-hmm. oh exactly I mean they they understand I mean everybody understands the situation I get it but this is a situation for the Giants that. On the defensive side of the ball, yeah, you have no identity. Nope. And the fact that Dak tore you apart, uh-huh. that speaks volumes. Now, not saying that Dak is a bad quarterback. He's really not. Right. But the fact that he was putting up video game numbers against you yeah. and literally your defense looked lost covering the wide receiver core uh-huh. says enough. And this is a situation for New York, which we've been saying this for a while now. I'm going to keep saying it. The honeymoon phase with Dabble is over. Yeah, it is. So with him and Sheen in the office, they got to go get some players to come in there. Because if you're trying to rebuild through the draft, this is not working. Nope. And the fact that you signed Daniel Jones and, and because you didn't go all in on Aaron Rodgers or whatever the case was, listen – that was a mistake. That's still haunting you. If you uh-huh. lose Saquon Barkley at the end of the year, that's going to hurt you that, as well. Listen, they decided to give Daniel Jones that monster contract. They decided to give that offensive lineman that monster contract. Mm. Meanwhile, your only fucking producer on offense is sitting there on basically a franchise tag. Yeah, which makes it's no not, sense. It's not a franchise tag in name, but let's face it. It's a one-year deal. It's a franchise tag. It's a franchise tag that's, that he's going to say thank you and then leave. Uh-huh. Because he's played very well under Dabble, but you still have no offensive line to give him time to run. Yep. And until you do, the Giants are not going to do anything. Period. Dallas looked great. And this is what a good team does. And even in division, this still was a statement win that Dallas wants to get some headlines back from Philly. Oh, yeah. And you know what? That's why we're going to keep watching him as we move forward. Because Dallas... Dallas looked great for what they had. I mean, yeah. sure, they've had some injuries, had some had a really, really bad one there. Yeah, I absolutely hated hearing the news about Leighton Van Der Esch. Mm-hmm. That uh, he's, I mean, obviously out for the season, but they're saying Could it, be done, done. it's possibly career injury. Yeah. Which, I mean, I, I never want to see that with anybody. No, you definitely don't. No, so... But Dallas, I mean, is is moving on, and they're looking good for what they have. Their their backups are stepping up. Yeah, like I know their secondary has been very depleted. Yeah. So this is a question now that can they contend when we get to the postseason? I mean, they got a fairly winnable schedule until you get to the last three weeks. Yeah. And then it's all, and then it's fucking murderers row there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they got Carolina, Washington, and Seattle in the next three weeks. Then they've got Philly, Buffalo, and Miami. Well, it depends on what happens with the Bills, but that's a whole different ball of wax. Yeah. But Dallas, if they can contend, I mean, they just got to get in the playoffs and then anything is possible. But a lot is going to come down to how that defense 
steps up against the league competition. Yeah. When they have to face the Phillies and the San Francisco's, that's going to be the real challenge. Mm-hmm. And we have to wait to see how it pans out there. So then let's talk our two teams. Uh, let's start with the Patriots first because there really ain't much good to say about this game. Uh, they lost to the Indianapolis Colts 10-6. to uh, Gardner Minshew 18-28 for 194 yards passing. No touchdowns, one interception. Mac Jones, 15 of 20, 170 yards passing, no touchdown, one interception, uh, was benched for Bailey Zapp, although by that point it was too little too late. Zapp went 3 of 7, 25 yards, one interception that was like the most egregious bullshit I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson led New England in rushing, 20 carries, 88 yards, no touchdowns, decent game from Zeke, 13 for 54. Jonathan Taylor led Indianapolis in rushing because, duh, uh, 23 carries, 69 yards, nice, uh, one touchdown. Michael uh, Pittman Jr. led Indianapolis in receiving, eight catches, 84 yards, no touchdowns. Demario Douglas led New England in receiving with six catches, 84 yards, and no touchdowns. I mean, listen, it's it's more of the same. Mac ain't that dude. The offensive line is absolute hot garbage. Sacked five times uh, for a loss of 22 yards. Uh, he got hit nine times. I mean, now, I guess you can asterisk. I did read for whatever reason, and I don't know why, and I'm not going to even speculate why, the offensive line coach did not make the journey over to Germany for mm-hmm. some reason. I'm not going to sit here and say, was this reason, that reason. I haven't read what it is. I All I know is the offensive line coordinator did not make the trip over to Germany, so... Good that it played for a reason why the offensive line has been shit, maybe, but they've been shit all year. So why change now? You know, and and then what didn't help is you know you had you gave up a fumble from Hunter Henry. You know, you know uh, David Andrews recovered one, but David Andrews recovered it. You know, the team sucks. About the only good thing going is if you look at uh, tankathon.com slash NFL. Right now, the Chicago Bears have the number one overall draft pick uh, by way of the Carolina Panthers. The New York Giants are sitting at second place uh, with a weaker strength by a weaker strength of schedule. Uh, so they have the number two overall pick, and the New England Patriots currently have the number three overall pick right behind them. So, which is why I say uh, Patriots are on a bye week this week. Coming out of the bye week, they play the New York Giants. This could be the most important toilet bowl game you've seen in the NFL this year because <laughs> because let's face it. This is for potentially the number two, if not the number one overall pick. They need to flex it to Sunday night. Oh, God. Yeah, They need all the uh, eyes on it they can handle. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, there's nothing good to say about no. this game. Patriots are awful. The Colts are not much better, but no. you know, at least Jonathan Taylor did something on my fantasy team. So yeah, that's, I'll, I'll, yeah, that's true. I'll take it as a win there. That's all I really need to say about that one. Boy, howdy, then we got one last game, and I know everyone listening has been waiting for this one. Uh-huh. Put the disclaimer on for this one. Uh, the thoughts, views, and opinions of that are of Ken M and do not necessarily reflect that of the ODPH. Listener discretion is advised. Let me get this out of the way just so you can stew a little bit more. Uh, so the Denver Broncos defeated the Buffalo Bills 24-22 to on Monday Night Football with Russell Wilson going 24-29, 193 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Josh Allen went 15-26 for 177 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. James Cook went uh, led Buffalo in uh, rushing with 12 carries, 109 yards uh, rushing, zero touchdowns. Latavius Murray and Josh Allen both had rushing touchdowns. For Denver, it was Javante Williams with 21 carries, 79 yards, no touchdowns. Cortland Sutton led Denver in receiving with eight catches, 53 yards, one touchdown. Gabe Davis led Buffalo in receiving with two catches, 56 yards, and no touchdowns. All right. Okay. 
So the easiest things to say here is one, Buffalo is not making the playoffs. Nope. I'm going to say it right now. Five and five, like they would need a ton of luck to get there. But the biggest problem that we have is not Ken Dorsey, who's been fired. Mm-hmm. Because Dorsey was the offensive coordinator last season. Yes. So for everybody that's pinning it on him, it's not all on him. Yeah. It's, well, a, t- it's a team sport. The gentleman now stepping in for offensive play calling duties is a gentleman by the name of Joe Brady, who was uh number position, but most recently was the uh, with LSU in 2019, was the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach, and then he was the OC in Carolina from 2020 to 2021 before he joined Buffalo in 2022 as the quarterback's coach. Mm-hmm. So the biggest issue I have here is it is a complete offensive dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And it primarily goes on one Josh Allen. You mean Brett Favre? Mm-hmm. Oh, he played bad Brett Favre all game here. And for whatever reason, and still to this day, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's just now bought into his whole, you know, Larger than life he's, persona to the media. He's the greatest thing since sliced bread. If it's something like that, if it's you know obviously being a little more high profile, mm-hmm. that's now getting to him because it doesn't seem like he's doing that from the people I know up in Buffalo. I mean, for those of you outside of the state of New York, this might be hard to understand, but he is beloved mm-hmm. by the folks up in Buffalo. There, it, when when you go around towns, and even in our area, and we're, what would you say, probably three and a half, four? Three and a half hours. Three and a half hours away from Buffalo. So we're driving distance, but I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily in like the heart of Bill's country. Mm-hmm. We're, we're kind of in this amalgamation of all three teams, mm-hmm. you know, the Jets, the Giants, and the Bills. But when you go out and you see Buffalo merchandise, be it shirts, you know, apparel, hats, or even like, decorations for your house or apartment it skews towards josh mm-hmm. you know i know i've seen some stuff where it's like oh allentown in josh we trust you know i it, it's just like yeah sure you see some stuff with like von miller and other stuff and all this stuff but like he's beloved and you gotta wonder and i sit here and wonder too is it getting to him oh it is it completely is like let's not sugarcoat it it's getting to him to the point that he feels he has to put up highlight reel throws every single fucking game. Yeah. Every single game. Yeah. And the one thing that he's regressing at is he's not letting the receivers get open. Right. He has it locked in like he was on Madden to throw it to a receiver the minute he gets the ball in his hand. He's not even looking to right. see if they're in coverage. Right. And that is the biggest problem. Because what he was doing last year, which everybody was praising him for, mm-hmm. is he was standing in the pocket, he was letting receivers get open and making plays with his legs a la a Ben Roethlisberger, which makes sense for his size and stature. That's what he should be doing. Sure. But you watch what he's doing now. He's standing in the pocket, and then he's instantly throwing it without looking. Sure. And that is the biggest issue I have. And I don't know if he's audibling out of plays that were getting sent in uh-huh. or he's just doing this out of some necessity that he thinks that his arm is bigger than the wide res- or the cornerbacks covering his receivers. It makes sense if, if it's a blitz package coming at him where he, ha- sure. he has no time. Sure. Or it's three-strap drop and you got to throw it or get rid of it. Right. Well, that makes sense. But if it's not that case, what the fuck are you doing, my well, guy? Well, that's, that's the problem. And he's doing this. He, he did this multiple times. 
And that is why they had turnovers early in this game. Right. Because he's this has been like the on-repeat nightmare for Bills fans because that's all he's been doing mm-hmm. is he's been trying to get the ball out, forcing it to Stephon Diggs because apparently the, the drama there is now coming back, allegedly. I don't think it ever left. Well, that, you know, here's the thing about it. Every single wide receiver in the NFL wants the ball. Sure. Every single one. It doesn't matter what team you're on. Sure. If you're a number one, you want the ball 24-7, a la Jamar Chase. Sure. That's why we have the whole 24-7 talk there, conversation. Sure. With Diggs, it's the same thing. But you get this on every team. But the problem is when you are a small market team, and let's face it, Buffalo is. Yeah. It gets blown up out of proportion. Sure. But it's still there. But the fact that he has his brother making tweets about he's got to leave, he's got to do that, that becomes a distraction in a small market team. See, I here's the thing. I don't think the disagreement or whatever ever left. I think it was tempered by the winning. Because, oh, of course. Let's face it. Winning fixes a lot of uh-huh, them. It's the biggest Band-Aid in the world. You know, so you look at their – and I'm not going to run through every game, but you look at their, their season up to this point where – you know, okay, they had the overtime loss to the Jet to the uh, Jets. Okay, freak freak thing there. Uh, you know, then beat the Raiders, beat the Commanders, beat the Miami Dolphins. So things are riding high. Mm-hmm. Things are looking real good. Then they come back and they, you know, well, the loss to Jacksonville. Hey, all right, that happens. You know, then you beat the uh, Giants, you lose to the Patriots, beat the Buccaneers, and then you've got back to back losses to the Bengals and now Denver. You know, but you look at some of the numbers there. Diggs had, you know, 102 yards, 92, 111, 120, 121, 100, and then, you know, wasn't even the leading receiver against New England, Tampa Bay. You know, he got 86 yards against the Bengals, and then he, and then he, uh, for this game, he only had 34 yards, mm-hmm. you know, which is where you started hearing this stuff. And, and listen, if this was coming from like, some insider, like from one of the insiders, like Rappaport or sure. Schefter or pick your NFL insider, and like, oh, there are reports that, that Stefan Diggs is unhappy. I, I, all right, there might be something to that. There might not be something. That could just be somebody saying shit to, for the sake of stirring, saying shit because they're pissed off and they said it in the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. This is coming from his brother, though. And and at the end of the day, you know, the three in my, in my personal life, you know, the people I trust most is obviously my fiance. And then family, and I know if 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 it were me, and I'm hearing something, somebody saying something from my brother, there's probably some credence to that. But that's at the same time, if Stefan's really feeling that way, why are you going to your brother and having him posted on social media, unless you really are trying to get out of there? But here's the problem that I've said multiple times: the contract you signed is so tight for cap movement. To another team, nobody can take you. Mm -hmm. So I understand your frustration, but at the same time, you signed the deal. It's like a poison pill contract in the NBA. That's essentially what you signed. So we can't move you. Right. So even if you want to go to Dallas or someplace else, we can't move you unless there's some team that's willing to take such a massive cap hit that they have to basically dismantle their team for you. So, unfortunately, you're stuck for a couple more years. should also mention that's not the only tweet uh, Trayvon Diggs put out. He put out another one today. Quote, let's not forget he didn't start going off till bro got there. Close quote. Again, we understand this point. And if you're mad because the stat line for Diggs is 3-34, and 34, well, guess what? He's the second targeted receiver on the team. 
Dalton Kincaid was the one that got more more targets, and Gabe Davis did too. But hey, Gabe had a, another abysmal performance, in my opinion. Six targets, two catches. Yeah. The pro, but that's the problem. The Josh gets locked in. He's trying to do too much. He's Brett Favre. But yeah, he's he's a modern day Brett Favre. Nice to hear uh, some national media picking up on this. Yeah, which thank you to whoever's picking it up. But please give credit to the ODPH because we've been saying that's the, the first ones to say it. But here's a crazy stat line too. Compare his stats with jo- with uh, Patrick Mahomes too okay. for this season. Notice how comparable they are. Right. But Mahomes is winning. Sure. That's the only that's the only difference here. When the Bills are doing it, because let's not forget, when the Bills had that big bounce back win against Miami, everybody was anointing Josh the MVP. The Bills were going to the Super Bowl, no question about it. And then look what happens. I mean, at some point, obviously a change needed to get made with the team, and, and obviously they did so with with Ken Dorsey being gone and then Joe Brady stepping in now. But at some point, you got to stop passing the buck and start looking at Josh. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, completely. Because statistically, he is number one in the NFL this year in, in interceptions. Mm-hmm. He's got 11. When you look at the most interceptions by a quarterback since 2018, which is the year he was drafted, this Josh. he's number one with 71. Baker Mayfield's number two with 69. Then you've got Jared Goff with 61. Mm-hmm. Flip it over, and then you go got the most turnovers by a quarterback since 2018. It's Josh with 94 turnovers. Yeah. And Jared Goff is number two with 85. Yeah. Because he plays too reckless. Josh Allen, let me pull it up here because I admit this is the one thing I didn't pull up. Uh, so he's got 94 turnovers. He has played 87 games. Yeah. Oh, well, trust me. I am fully aware of that stat. The other concerning thing to me, and the reason I say I don't think the locker room issues have left, is you had the stuff at the end of last year with between Diggs and Allen. Mm-hmm. Then you had the stuff persistent in the offseason, and then, you know, don't worry, things are cool, things are cool. Then there was the report or the story about how they went to go run onto the field for OTAs or practices or whatever it was, and they and, the, and Josh said to the team, hey, whatever you got going on outside of the field, your personal life, your family life, leave it there. Let's focus on this here. And now you got Latavius Murray, according to reports, who has been with the team for all of this is, is, is his first year. Now, granted, he was drafted in 2014, but he's only in his first year with Buffalo. Mm-hmm. You've got Latavius Murray calling an offensive or a players only meeting last week. Oh, yeah. Like you add all this together. Something's going on in that locker room and there's a disconnect and there's a dysfunction. What the hell it is? I don't know. But McDermott's got to nip it in the ass. Well, no, that's the problem right there. It's McDermott. See, that's the thing. It takes two to tango, and he has been a problem this season, too, which the one thing that's been flying under a lot of radars, but it showed up completely last night if you're if you're really watching the tape. Who's their defensive coordinator this season? Leslie Frazier. No, he's not. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, you're right. It's McDermott. Yeah. So McDermott is the D.C., and he's the uh, head coach, too. That's the other thing we'll talk about, that fucking field goal at the end. How the fuck do you let 12 guys stay on the field? Exactly. Because when I, admittedly, I wasn't watching the game because I don't root for either of these two teams. The only rooting interest I had in this, in this game was fantasy, and that was because my opponent had Allen, Cook, and uh, Tyler Bass going. But I'm like, you know what, I don't got to watch the whole game for that. I can just check the stats periodically. Mm-hmm. But I heard how the game was going, and I did catch the end of it. So I, cost, I caught them as field goal, saw them call 
called a penalty for 12 men on the field. And I, like probably 99.9% of the people watching that game went, oh, somebody must have gone, shit, I shouldn't be on the field and running off the field. They go to the replay, they pull out the telestrator, and they start counting, and 12 men dudes are literally standing on the field. Yeah. You're professional athletes who have been doing this since peewee days, mm-hmm. since you could walk in diapers. How the hell do you do this? Exactly. That's the problem. That's inexcusable. Because McDermott is trying to do too much, and he's trying to cover the ground there of the defense. Because yeah. the defense is playing like shit. The defense yeah. is playing awful. It, I understand about the injuries. Don't but, get don't get me wrong about that. But you also had some of those same guys injured last year uh-huh. that are injured this year. Exactly. So you you were great last year. Because the problem is McDermott is trying is spread himself too thin. He needs to put in an interim DC, whoever it is. I don't care who it is right now. Hell, get Rex Ryan out of the booth. I just said that. Get somebody in there to take that off his plate. Because that is one of the biggest detriments we have on this team. Because when Josh makes mistakes, and granted, we have known this many, many times, the defense has usually bailed him out. But I'm sorry, they have looked sloppy, and especially with how they played in that final quarter yesterday. Right. There was egregious pass interference, which why Johnson was still arguing about that after the play, I don't even understand. That was all on you, Uh and you can't make that play. You got burnt. And I don't know where your safety was. It was supposed to be watching you over top. Well, for one, they were they were explaining the, a little bit of this between get up and first take this morning when I was watching the videos back on YouTube, and it was essentially what it was. It was it was back to back zero blitz, where it was basically like, all right, we're going to blitz the shit out of people, and it's basically like one on one over the top, mm-hmm. and it was just a fuck up on whoever was covering because he should have known what was going to happen there, but just got burnt. Yeah, but still at the same point. You got burnt, you got burnt, but you got. there has to be a plan in place. Right. And that's the problem they didn't. And they've done this multiple times this, this season. It's showing up, especially when they're losing close games like they shouldn't be doing. But you take a look at everything they've done this season when they've, when they've lost. Right. It's come off a big win that they everybody's anointing them as Super Bowl champions, which is like, no, you have a long way to go. You're in the, one of the toughest divisions in the league. And you got one of the toughest schedules coming up. Exactly. You haven't won shit. But yet you sit there and you are prancing around like you've won the damn thing. You haven't won anything. If you had 13 more seconds to go back in time and fix things, you probably would have. Yeah, but so, you didn't. Boy, those bills in 13 seconds. Exactly. It's like the fourth time. No, I mean, the thing is, is, you look at the standings, it's like, oh, hey, you know what? Bills are doing pretty okay. They're 5-5. Five and five. They're in second place in the AFC East. But then you look at the fucking standings, and it's the Chiefs in first at 7-2. Ravens in second at 7-3. Jacksonville in third with 6-3. Miami 6-3. Pittsburgh 6-3. That's 3-4-5. Three, five. Six is Cleveland at 6-3. Houston's in seventh at 5-4. and four. Cincinnati's at 8-5-4. and five and four. Indianapolis is is at nine at five and five and then you've got buffalo at 10 and five and five and then vegas at 11 and five and five and in case you're curious how indianapolis or uh, indianapolis is ahead of buffalo and vegas it's because they won the tiebreaker based on the best win percentage in conference games mm-hmm. so right now they're up shit's creek without a paddle oh exactly no they're they're out they're out and that's where bean is gonna have to sit there and do some magic this offseason yeah he really is and you know what? If you can try moving stuff on Diggs at this stage, if he's so unhappy, put a feeler out and see what team is going to take him. Take him with that contract. That's the one he wanted to retire in Buffalo. He wanted to stay there the rest of his career. Yeah. Well, you sign that deal, and unless you're planning on doing some reworking, it's not going to happen to get you out of there. Because you know what? I'll even make a bold prediction. We'll do locks and leaps for this. Okay. 
All right, so the lock is Diggs will probably be there next season. Okay. The leap is if they can rework his deal, they're going to go get one of the illustrious Cincinnati wide receivers, whether it's Mr. Boyd or Mr. Higgins, to come in there and fill in that spot. Mark my words. If they can move them, they'll get them because I know one of them is a free agent next year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think Boyd is. Let me. I can look it up. And they have three legit number ones on that team. So if they can make some movement happen, they'll do it there because somebody needs to come into that team. And if Murray is trying to do this, yeah, I'm sure he's trying to rally it being a veteran, but still the aesthetic coming out of there is not working. Uh, so, yeah, Boyd is on the final year of his four-year, $43 million contract, so he is the unrestricted free agent. Uh, Jamar Chase is on the third of his four-year, uh, $30 million contract. So either way, you're going to have to pay out the nose for these guys because you look at the numbers they've put up in their first you know, first few seasons in, mm-hmm. the, in the NFL, especially a dude like Jamar Chase. He's only making $30 million on, on his contract. You know, he's averaging $7.7 million a year. That's criminally underrated for him, but granted, that's what the way the rookie pay scale works. So I get it. But even if Buffalo is able to pull this off and and do that, it's going to cost them. Oh, it's going to cost them no matter what. But that's the problem you have. You either deal with the headache you have now, and you hope winning makes everything go away, or you're going to put yourself in a bigger headache trying to move them. Like pick your poison. Yeah, that's the situation you have right now because what you have is Josh trying to manage this team, ruffling everybody's feathers because he got away from what he was doing because I don't know if he's too busy enjoying being on TMZ or whatever he's doing on his, his off time. Right. And in that situation, like, listen, I can't t- I can't figure that out. But the fact that he's regressing, he's pressing himself too much that he thinks he can just sling the ball and it'll just go through everybody. You know what? Jay Cutler used to do that too. Yeah. And look how it worked out for him. Just saying. Yeah. And now, but you have the modern-day Brett Favre. Guess what? If he's winning, everybody's saying he's great, though. And that's the thing. You take a look at the stat line between him and Mahomes, and that's where I say one team has a winning record, the other team is 500. And it's not going to get any better for the Bills because this was a must-win game for them. They didn't do it. It worked well. He's always had the turnovers. It's worked well when the Bills were able to cover and win, and nobody really cared, but now they can't cover, and now they can't win. Exactly. So until they can find a way to figure that out, it's not going to matter a damn. I'm sorry. It's, it's not going to do anything, especially when you're fumbling the ball. But, hey, James Cook, you did. You had some fumbles too. He's not the guy. I'll say there's what? Four turnovers in that yeah. game, but it should have been five. Oh, it should have been five. That's the whole problem. They played sloppy, and they show it. Cause, yeah. Because obviously some players don't want to be there anymore, but you know what? that's a situation that the front office needs to figure out. And like we said, it doesn't get any easier for Buffalo. Uh, they've got the Jets this upcoming Sunday. Then the rest of the season is as follows. On the road playing the Philadelphia Eagles. By week in week 13. Then they're on the road playing the Kansas City Chiefs. At home against the Dallas Cowboys. On the road playing the Chargers. At home against the Patriots, and then on the road playing the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see how they 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 go from here. But I'm going to tell you right now, season's done. I, you know, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I have to come out here and apologize for that statement. But there's so much dysfunction from McDermott and Allen on both sides of the ball. Uh huh. That until that gets figured out. They're going to be a 500 team at best. I just want to remind everyone listening at home, in case you forgot, uh, Rich, Ken, and myself all picked the Buffalo Bills to win the division this year. Oh, yeah, because, you know, on paper, they should have. But for some reason, they can't pull it together, and they can't stay out of the big media hype that they were buying into. Here's the other thing with the Bills, too, is and I know Buffalo. some Buffalo fans are going to be like, oh, no, they're fine. This is, this is just a bad loss. 
You couldn't beat the team that your division rival that you, and I'm not talking Patriots, mm-hmm. your division rival that is your biggest measuring stick. Let's face it. You might hate the Patriots. You might dislike the Patriots. Some of you may even loathe the Patriots. Who is your biggest measuring stick in that division? The Miami Dolphins. You couldn't beat the team that your biggest division rivals beat by 50 yeah. in the same season. And you want to sit there, and some of you want to sit there and say, oh, we're better than Miami. Miami can't beat the good teams. Yeah, well, Miami still beat the bad ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. And Denver is a hot piece of shit. Sure, Denver fans. You no, pull- Denver's a piece of shit. Denver, kudos to you. You pulled off one of the most, Sorry. You pulled off one of the most improbable victories this season. You know, that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure somebody's sitting there going, oh, that one was more improbable. No, whatever. For for this intents and purposes, this is the most improbable win. Your team's a hot piece of shit. But when you got the Miami Dolphins who went out there and hung video game numbers on you of mythical proportions and beat them by 50, and yet you got Buffalo Bills fans sitting there going, oh, you know, no, we're still good. We're, we'll still win the division. We'll still make the playoffs. And you couldn't beat this team, and you turn, basically turned the ball over five times. You just were fortunate and recovered one of them. Stop. Exactly. No. Stop. Bills fans need to be quiet. Like, listen, that's I have nothing nice to say about them at all because, like I say, this is where the problem is. Until McDermott gets a DC in there to take the pressure off him so he can go manage the team, they're going to keep doing this. And until somebody sits Allen down and tell him, go back to running the ball when you have to and letting the play open up instead of just trying to gunsling, they're going to be, this is washer and repeat. And it's, learn how to throw the ball away because, as I mentioned, he attempted the ball 26 times. 25 of them were actually target targets to receivers. Yeah. So he only threw the ball away once. Yeah, that's, like I said, it's modern day Brett Favre. When he wins, yep. he's great. When he when he loses, everybody outside of Buffalo knows it. Everybody in Buffalo knows, like, like, like you touched upon, he walks on water yeah. in, in Buffalo, which is a good thing because we need somebody, but we need, more importantly, Somebody to tell that somebody this is how you win against teams you should have absolutely ran out of the stadium. You didn't. That's why you're stuck in this five and five record. It's not going to get any better. So until somebody steps up and does a thing, Bill's season's a wrap. I mean, let's face it, it's the only thing they got going right now because uh, we, we know how the Sabres are doing. Exactly. <laughs> but we are Rangers Town here, so we yeah, won't no, get into well, that. We talk. are. We are. But hey, listen, Buffalo the fans ain't got much going for them right now. No, no, they don't. <sighs> that said. Hit us up in the hashtag. Hashtag go to page pod. What is your thoughts about the current state of the NFL? How's your team doing? We let you know how ours was doing, but now we want to hear about yours. Let's talk about the week that was. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Vale Mai is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Mott, and here at Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pad, last segment was some fighting words, but now <laughs> let's actually talk about some fighting, shall we? Yeah. So this past week, UFC 295 went down. Yep. A lot of headlines coming out of this one. Two big title fights transpired we have to recap the crazy night of action that was so pad let's get into it yeah so this one took place this past saturday from madison square garden in new york city with an announced attendance of 19,039 folks in attendance 
Uh, so we're going to start with the main card. You had uh, in the featherweight division open up the card. Diego Lopez defeated Pat Sabatini via knockout at one minute and 30 seconds of the first round. They were not messing around. Yeah. Uh, so real uh, peek ahead spoiler. Every fight on the main card was a knockout. Mm-hmm. Sony had a place to go and people to see. Well, you know what? I love seeing this because everybody was going for broke. Yeah. And, th- and that's what you want to see. When you go to a fight, you want to see this. I mean, sure, submissions are great. Technical work is great. But sometimes you just want to go and see somebody, you know, the test of wills. Sure. This is what we got here. Great opening bout. Yeah. And, you know, like really set the pace for the rest of the night. Uh, next up was in the lightweight division where you had Benoit Saint-Denis defeat Matt Frivola with a head kick knockout at one minute and 31 seconds of the first round. Absolutely nasty. Holy shit. Absolutely nasty. Love this, though. Yeah. Uh, next up was in the women's strawweight division where you had Jessica Andrade defeat Mackenzie Derm, Mackenzie Derm uh, with a knockout in in two minutes and uh, or excuse me, three minutes and fifteen seconds of the second round. Not really surprised by this one. No, like I said, Andrade is tough. Yeah, she is. Like at this Ooh. at this weight, this this is perfect for her. So. Yeah. Uh, and then in your co-main event of the evening for the vacant UFC, or uh, yeah, for the excuse me for the interim UFC heavyweight championship, uh, you had Tom Aspinall defeat Sergey Pavlovich with a knockout, uh, specifically punches, at one minute and nine seconds of the first round. So Tom Aspinall is your current interim uh, heavyweight champion. So in so, in theory, some point down the line, you should expect to see uh, Tom Aspinall take on one John Bones Jones or whoever the hell he beats because he is Adam and his next fight is against Stipe Miocic. Well, you know, the crazy thing about this fight is Aspinall like threw that almost like a like without any like force behind it. Uh-huh. And to see him come back, I mean, obviously coming back from that gruesome knee injury. Yeah. To see him back in this kind of stance was very, very cool to see. Sure. Pavlovich is no slouch by any stretch of the imagination, but to see Aspinall really kind of stay in the pocket, really take his time and do some precision striking, like that was a really cool thing to see here. And obviously this kicks off a lot of possibilities. Sure. Because obviously the fight that should happen is John Jones. Right. Like you you alluded to. Right. But the question at this stage of the career is what does John want to do? Well, and the other thing, too, to keep in mind is, like we mentioned, he's got the injury, torn pectoral muscle, like fully off the bone, not mm-hmm. even partially. Nine-month recovery. Nine months puts it at August. Yeah. And that's if it's the standard nine months. If it's shorter, it's somewhere in the summer months, you know, but if it's longer, we're talking next fall. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that we have to kind of wait to see how it shakes so, up. So then you got the, okay, we got the whole John thing. What the hell are you going to do with Aspinall in the meantime, in between time? Because... Something tells me he ain't gonna want to wait for nine months. Hell, it be, based on let's just let's just say for this intents and purposes that it, it's John versus Stipe in the next fight, mm-hmm. and whoever wins wins. Pick your fighter, John Stipe, whatever. But then you get this medical suspension coming out of there because oh, you know what? They got a orbital broken or, or something like that, where it requires oh, they got to have some time off because hey, you can't hit him there. You know, it's broken. Mm-hmm. So you really going to tell me Tom Aspinall's comfy sitting for a year without a fight, even though he's interim champion? No, he's going to fight. No, like, he, he will, but it's just what are they going to do? Well, that's the whole thing. You got to kind of take a look at the rankings and see. Oh, funny you mentioned that. I do have them up. All right, let's talk about uh, it. So obviously, as we mentioned, John Jones is the champion. Tom Aspinall is the number one ranked fighter. He is the interim champion. Cyril Gan is number two. Sergey Pavlovich is number three. Stipe Miocic is number four. Curtis Blades is number five. Alexander Volkov is number six. Uh, Jelton Almeida is number seven. Sergey Spivak is number eight. Tai Tuivasa is number nine. Uh, Marcin Tybura is number 10. 
uh, Derek Lewis is also number 10. UFC.com slash ranking, folks. No, I think it's supposed to be 11. Uh, it looks like a typo. Yeah, that does look like a typo. Uh, number 12 is uh, Jarenzo Rosenstruck. Uh, 13 is Alexander Romanoff. 14 is uh, Marcos Rogero de Lima. And 15 is Rodrigo uh, Nascimento. Well, I mean, this is kind of an interesting scenario like we touched upon. Fuck it. Aspinall versus Brock Lesnar. No, I'm kidding. Well, you know, that would make uh, a lot of headlines, too. Brock I mean, ain't doing anything WWE these days. Well, I mean, like I say, I don't think it's possible. But looking at that, I mean, he, I would imagine he would get somebody in the top five. Uh, conveniently enough, their contracts are owned by the same company these days. Mm. You could slide somebody over if you need to. Yeah. The situation here, though, it's tough. Uh, with Serial gone would make a lot of sense. Sure. But then again, he wouldn't. I'm just trying to think of opponents that Aspinall has not faced. Uh, let me pull up his record. And to and to my knowledge, I don't believe that they have fought. If it if it. Oh, if, let's see. So running through the list, and I'll do be bouncing back and forth between web pages, folks. So bear with me. Uh, Sergey Pavlovich, he fought in his last fight. Obviously, he's in that same uh, division. Mm-hmm. Marcin Tybora, who is also in that division, the number ten fighter. Uh, defeated him curtis blades he lost to that was back in july of 2022 he is where is he he is in that division so well you could do blades a, is five you could do a rematch there uh he submitted alexander volkov uh he defeated sergey spivak he defeated andre orlovsky uh so no uh based on your whole thing there he has not faced one uh curtis blades or well, Blade, or no, he, or no, sorry, Blades. He he Cereal lost. Gone. Cyril Gone. No, he has not faced Cyril Gone. See, Cyril Gone would be kind of the X factor here. I just don't know if you can give him a title shot right now. Yeah. I, I really, I, I don't think he can. Um, the the other name though that, that was not mentioned that's in that kind of upper echelon talk is Yelton Alameda. Uh huh. So that would make sense too, but that's a hell of a jump from seven in the title shot. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I don't necessarily know what would happen there. I think. The one thing we just have to look at is how quickly Aspinall wants to get back in the cage. And sure. I think now being the third United Kingdom champion in the UFC, he's really going to want to carry that momentum, really yeah. get on a, a yeah. you know a card sometime soon, and really step up and face somebody. But the question becomes, we know that John is out for a while. At least nine months. And is John going to want to fight him? When he comes back, or is he that? Is he focused? even going to be the champion by the time he comes back? Well, that's the whole thing with John is just, I mean, he's interim until further notice, but unless he just says, you know what, this has been too much, I'm at this age. Because you know what's going to happen with all this is whoever Aspinall goes to fight in the interim time between now and when John comes back, just because it's going to throw the whole thing into utter chaos and, you know, the best laid plans go to waste and all that, he's going to lose. Mm-hmm. And then it's just going to throw the whole plan out the window, and they're going to have to figure out what the fuck they're going to do, and it's going to throw every plan out the window. Yeah. So we'll have to kind of wait and see what Aspinall wants to do. As for Pavlovich, I mean, you, you can kind of take your pick right now. Like, I think, yeah. I think unfortunately. 31 years old. He turns 32 in May. Uh, and then for his record, it's his first loss since he lost to Alistair Overeem in 2018. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got a couple options he wants to do. I mean. Yeah. We'll just have to wait and see because I honestly I think it just depends on. What... I I think you give him a couple fights, maybe he works himself back in there. Yeah, I mean that's the whole thing. He, they I could... mean, because you look at you look at the record. You know, he knocked out Curtis Blades, he knocked out Tai Tuivasa, he knocked out Derek Lewis. 
you know, so he's got he's got some folks there. He's got a, a few feathers in the cap. He's got some people he, he's definitely made some headway with, but it's just a matter of like when you start talking about where do you go after a title shot? Yeah. That's the problem right now, yeah. especially when you had two marquee names that are tied up, unless Miosic is like, I'm not waiting around. I want to go fight. If he wanted to jump in, right. that does change a dynamic a little bit, but it depends on what he wants to do or if he's saying, you know what, because he's at the stage two. It's like he's near retirement as well. Right. So does he really want to go through a grueling camp to win it one last time? Then you hope John is ready to come back. Right. That's assuming he beats Aspinall. Or Pavlovich, it depends on like what kind of situation he's in. Uh-huh. To see if he wants to come back and do that. I mean, and, and let's face it, he didn't look great in his last fight against the uh, DC way back when. Right. So I don't know. This is where it just John Jones is still running this division to yeah. further notice. So yeah. now we all have to wait to see what he wants to do. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be the biggest domino to fall. I just fully see Aspinall taking on somebody in the meantime. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's not going to sit there and wait a year. Yeah, I, I just, I, if I'm the UFC, I would definitely say we got to get him somebody to fight. So right. Wait and see on that. But, you know, kudos to him. Great, yeah. great, great yeah. showing, especially great story coming back from the injury. Uh, and then in your main event was for the vacant UFC light heavyweight championship. And your new champion is Alex Pereira defeating Jiri uh, Prochaka via elbow knockout. Uh, that was at four minutes and eight seconds of the second round. Well, this one went the way I thought it was going to go. Two men enter, one man leaves. Yeah. And this is a situation that. We knew when these two were scheduled to fight, somebody was going to really lay somebody out. Mm-hmm. I will say this, though. Perea knocking out Yuri was surprising because Yuri went down. It did not look like he was out, though. Uh-huh. That's my only argument with it. So I, I'm not going to say it was a quick stoppage per se, but right. I do not like how they stopped it. Like, I, I was personally not a fan. However, Prochaka was completely fine with it. He said, you yeah. know, I get it. I'm not going to argue about it. Uh, he's a different guy, though. Like, he's just different personalities. So yeah. I could see him just using this as motivation to come back. Jerry's a whole different animal. I'm looking at his record. This is his first loss since he lost to Muhammad uh, Lawal at Ryzen World Championship Grand Prix 2015 Part 2. Uh, folks, he fought twice in one night. Uh, that's that's not a misprint. That's not a typo. No, he's legit. He fought a gentleman by the name of Vadim Nemkov, who he knocked out, and then the dude retired. Mm-hmm. And then he fought Muhammad Lawal in the same goddamn night. Yeah, that's insane. It's it's wild. No, he's he's just a different cat. That was like, yeah. That one that was on like I said that was on uh, New Year's Eve, twenty fifteen. Yeah. So I think now the question mark is is Jamal Hill ready to come back? Like that's the first thing I would be looking for because I think th- they're not going to waste any time um, with him getting him back into a title shot against Pereira. Like that makes the most sense to do. Right. It just depends on that Achilles injury and where he's at. With right. It. Which I mean, he did go down with that injury back in July. So yeah, maybe. I maybe mean, not. if they want to do that, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, as far as the rest of the light heavyweight division, I mean, it, that's a it's a tough question. Because the thing is with Perea, he could literally fight anybody there. Right. But does it make sense to the rest of the division? Right. Because he he moved up in weight, and that's how he got his, his shot. So, 
I unless they wanted to do something insane, but I, I just don't see them doing that as doing a media rematch with him and Prochaka. I mean, going off of, and I did a quick Google search, and this is according to the Hospital for Special Surgeries, uh, hss.edu. Uh, it says, typically after an Achilles tendon repair, patients can expect three to four weeks of immobilization, non-weight-bearing, using crutches. Uh, it is usually about six to nine months before you return to all activities, such as running or jumping. So if we're talking six months before he can return to activities, he got injured in July, so you got August, September, October, November. We're four months in. He's still if if this is like a typical recovery and, and by the book, he's still not even back at uh, full activities yet. Yeah. So, like I say, that's the biggest question mark. Like I say, he would be the first one to plug in if he's ready to go. Sure. If he's not, Perea does have some options, but they're not exactly great in my opinion. Right. Because I'm, I'm looking at the rankings, uh, you got Jamal Hall Hill is the uh, so Pereira is the champion. Jamal Hall Hill is number one, but got to take him out because we don't know what his status currently is. Jiri Projaka is number two, but you're not going to do that fight again. Uh, number three is uh, Magomed Ankalev, mm-hmm. uh, who looking at uh, Pereira's record does not appear he's fought. No, he's not fought him. So eh, there's an option there. There's an option, but he just if go back to his record. He just had that uh, no contest or oh, against yeah. Blahovitz. Yeah, so well, it, was, it was funny you mentioned him. He's the number four fighter, right? So that's a tough sell. Yeah, and that's where I say like you could plug him in there, but oh yeah, that, that was a DNF there. Yeah, yeah, could not continue. Yeah, so yeah, do yeah, like I say, you can't really do that. Like that, it, that was against Walker. That wasn't. Uh, oh yeah, that was, yeah, the Blahovitz. Blahovitz was a split decision. Right. That was a draw. Yeah, it was a draw. So, like, you can't, like, you could, but you can't. So, yeah, you got, uh, and Kalev is three, Blahovitz is four, uh, Alexander Rakic is number five, Nikita, Nikita Krylov is number six, Johnny Walker, number seven, Anthony Smith is eight, Volkan Odzmedier is number nine, Ryan Spann, number 10, Khalil Roundtree Jr. is number 11, uh, Azmat, uh, Mertzakanov is number 12. Dominic Reyes is 13. Alonzo Menfield, Menefield is number 14. Dustin Jacoby is number 15. Yeah, so this is going to be an interesting decision for the UFC, what they want to do. I already know Pereira was trying to call Adesanya up there at the 205. See, I, I didn't see that one. I mean, I was looking at somebody at the – because I, I don't think anybody's going to come down from heavyweight to fight him. I was, no. I, I, was looking no. At, I was looking at middleweight. I did not see Adesanya, but I, the first name that jumped out to me, because I was looking at somebody maybe in the middle middle of the division there, you know, maybe isn't doing anything. I mean, you got Kelvin Gastelum there at number 11 in the middleweight. Uh, you know, yeah, Hamza Chimaev is number eight, but he's on he's on the rise. I don't think he'll want to fuck anything up. No, Chimaev is is a he's a you talk about different cats. He's a different cat. Yeah, he could decide to go up there if they want to and 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 run crazy. I see. This is where things get very very interesting, and I think that it just depends on what they want to do with Pereira. Because one thing we have to remember, and this is something that I mentioned last week, but I'm just reminding because I know you're going to sit there and go like, oh yeah, that happened. You take a look at his year. In the UFC? For who is this? Perea. Okay. He came in, won the middleweight championship. Yep. looking now, at that. And now he won the light heavyweight championship. Yeah, uh, he beat Israel Adesanya. That was back in, well, this is this is in a calendar year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, almost, holy fuck, almost to the day. Yeah. So he beat Israel Adesanya via TKO punches at UFC 281. That was on November 12th, 2022. Yeah. He, he then won the UFC light heavyweight championship on November 11th, 2023. Holy fuck, that's a hell of a year. Yeah. In a, wow. in a calendar year, he became wow. a double champion. Wow. Like, think about that. That... Yep. 
That's impressive. That is impressive. Like you, the, usually, most guys, it's a couple of years. I mean, I'm not saying Hall of Fame, but that's yeah, to the credentials. You you got you have to give him his respect. Yeah, has no ground game to save his life that uh, we've seen. The, this is true. Pereira, uh, nine Pereira, nine wins, seven knockouts, two decisions, no submissions. Yeah, he yeah. So like I say, if they put him against Blahovitz, it's, it's going to be a lay in parade. It's going to be one of the most boring fights on, in the history of time. Unless Perea knocks him out in the first round, yeah, like literally, it's gonna be him versus Adesanya again. Oh, well, they did they did that fight once. It was a split decision. Yeah, win. yeah, but like I say, you, you, you can't do that with Perea. Yeah, I, like I say, I think it just depends on if Hill is ready to go. That's the fight you do. Otherwise, look at somebody from middleweight. Call them up. Well, have them I, go up. Well, I think that UFC is just gonna kind of sit and wait. Yeah. Because if they if they wanted to talk out of Sonya and moving up, you know, I hope he takes a lot of time off. He's fought way too much. I, I think he's alluded to as much. Yeah, yeah he that like that's a box office fight. People will tune in to see it. It's a rivalry, so people will tune in to see it. Yeah. I just don't want to see it at this stage. So a lot of waiting is going to happen. And as for Prashaka, I would not doubt that he gets somebody in that like three to six range. Sure. Just to fight somebody. Cause I think he's going to want to get back in there against who I just don't know. Like I mean, that, the, these things are booked out for a while though. Cause I'm, cause you got to figure something like this. It's going to be on one of the numbered cards. Mm-hmm. And for what I can see on Wikipedia. So two ninety six is got Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington. And then Alex, if that's for the welterweight title, then it's got for the flyweight title, Alexander Pantoja against Brandon Roy Val. Uh, tonight that is on December sixteenth, mind you. Mm-hmm. Uh, for D- UFC two ninety seven, that's in January uh, of the of this upcoming year. That one has got Sean Strickland against Driscus Duplessis for the middleweight title. Then you've got UFC two ninety eight, which is in February at a to be determined location. Which that one is going to be for the featherweight title between Alexander Volkanovsky and Ilya Topura. Then you've got UFC 299, which is as far out as I can go, according to the Wikipedia pages, where that one is UFC 299. That one's in March, and that one's got uh, Sean O'Malley taking on Marlon Vera for the bantamweight belt. So we're looking at at least middle third, middle whatever part of next year mm. before we, we're talking light heavyweight title. Yeah, so a lot of things are going to happen in between then. Yeah. But it's still exciting times to watch, and like I say, for Perea, he's got to celebrate it. And much like the UFC is celebrating something as well, too, because it has now been 30 years. Is of, it really? Of the UFC. Wow. Good yeah. for them. Yeah, which, I mean, how crazy is that? Especially if, if you have ESPN Plus, because if I'm not mistaken, all mm. of the past pay-per-views are on ESPN Plus. Um, the most recent one gets added, I want to say, a couple of weeks after the after it airs. Um, but go back and watch that first UFC one. Just how wild it is. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've watched some highlights. It's fucking nuts. Yeah, I mean, just how it started in being the you know one-day tournaments to now, it is legitimately a, a recognized sport all across the world, mixed yeah. martial arts is, yeah. and how the UFC has done it. I mean, not everything has been roses, but yeah. it still has you know made its impact on pop culture. Yeah. And it's still very, very relevant in in today's society. So looking at the Wikipedia page for UFC 1, the general part about background, it says general regulations agreed upon were no doping probes, no holds barred, no biting, no eye gouging, no mandatory gloves in combative uniform, bare knuckle contest, no judges scores, 
unlimited five minute rounds with one minute rest be, uh, period between changed to no time limits for UFC two, since no UFC one fight lasted five minutes and then knockout tap out or corner stoppage indicated by towel are the only determination methods. Referee could only halt a match pending the corners decision. That is, that is all sorts of wild. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's absolutely crazy. Royce Gracie fought twice on this card. What the fuck? Yeah, Ken gr- Shamrock fought twice. Great, yeah. Like I said, they used to do the one night tournament. So oh, wait a minute, great. Sorry, I didn't read far enough. Gracie fought three times. Yeah. Holy shit! That's why I say the Gracie name is <laughs> is legend for for many reasons, and that is one oh of them. Oh my god! Yeah, like it, it's no joke. Gerard Gordeau fought twice. Oh yeah. God damn. Like I say, the UFC was built different during that time period. Very, very different. Holy shit! And to see it now evolve, I mean, we'll kind of end on a little fun notepad. Okay. 30 years of fighting. Sure. What has been your favorite fight? Oh, Christ. Um, any of the knock... And I'm, I know there's been a bunch. Any of the knockdown dragouts, like, they both leave the the fight bloodied. Mm-hmm. Where it's it's rock'em, sock'em robots. It's, it's stand and just throw until you can't throw no more. You know, those for... The, don't get me wrong. I enjoy the technical ones, and I enjoy just, the, you know, the... the, the you know, the ring generals, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. of just them figuring out their guy and, and absolutely just picking them apart, you know, like we've seen John do over the years, like we saw GSP do over the years. But there's just just any of the ones where it's been just like they're just throwing bombs, they're throwing hands, and somebody's going to drop. Yeah, like I have to say, it has been something to watch over the, the echelon of time. Any of the Frankie Edgar ones were good. Frankie is always one of my Frank, top. Frankie's good. Yeah, one of my top fights. You know, for me, it, it kind of ranks like I'll give you my top three of all time. Okay. My number three is Robbie Lawler versus Rory McDonald. Holy fuck. Which still to this day gives me goosebumps seeing Robbie with a split lip, like bleeding out. Rory is seeing there his eyes more or less swollen shut. Yeah. And Robbie is still screaming like a madman that he wants more. And to see how he defeated Rory, I mean, still one of the most amazing moments of all time. Yeah. Hands down. My number two is Stefan Bonner versus Forrest Griffin, the Ultimate Fighter finale. Oh, okay. Because I remember where I was and how my phone blew up during that. Right. Of people messaging me, are you watching this on Spike? Right. Yes, that's the, legitimately was a, a thing. And just how everybody was tuning in because they're like, this is on free TV. And if you'd been watching the show, the show was very good this first year. To see these two go in the cage, leave it all in there, was an amazing, amazing fight. Like I say, just one of those that have always stood out the, te- the test of time with me. Mm-hmm. But it's never been my number one. Okay. My number one will kind of shock some people because everybody knows I'm not a big fan of this fighter because I've always been a Michael Bisping guy. So yeah, yeah. I've never been a big Dan Henderson guy, though. Mm. But I will give the devil his due. Him against Shogun Hua won. Yeah. I remember where I was in the basement of my old uh, house that I used to live in and watching 25 minutes of just pure mayhem. Yeah. And I just remember when that fight got done, I was getting asked by you know our guy Dino, shout out to Dino, uh, Molson, uh, everybody that was in attendance was like, how are you scoring this? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm like I honestly don't know. Like this was one fight that I it was so back and forth, so absolutely crazy, so insane to watch that when Henderson got the win, I was not even questioning it. I said, you know what, he deserved it because this is by far and away 
the wildest spectacle I've ever seen. And I was like, yeah. this is why I, sh- I try telling people to watch UFC. This is the, now that I think about it, the one that probably stands out to me the most when I think about it is probably Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman. Yeah. Just because that one, 4th of July weekend, it was July 6, 2013. You know, Weidman beat Anderson Silva, which that was his first loss in like six or seven years. Uh, he looking it up. He hadn't lost since December or January twentieth of two thousand six. He's so dominant too. Like he he, he beat the shit out of everybody. Like I mean, he he lost to Yushin Okami at Rumble on the Rock eight in January two thousand six, and then he knocked out his next one, two, three, four, five, six opponents. Submitted the one after that. Knocked out the next two. Had a unanimous decision knockout decision submission knockout knockout knockout. Knockout, and then he lost to Chris Weidman. Like the dude just seemed so untouchable that in that stretch, like I read, he had like what one or two decisions mm-hmm. in in that like six seven year stretch. That it, and it was to the point where it was like if you watch WWE or WWF and like you've got that champion that just seems unbeatable. That like oh they're just beating the shit out of everybody. They're they're winning over everybody. Mm-hmm. And then you finally see him lose, and you just can't believe it. That I remember where we were when we were watching that fight, and we're like, holy fuck, like, that actually happened. Oh, yeah. And then you get the fight six months later where it was the rematch and the nastiest leg injury I've seen in UFC history. Yeah, without question. Hey. Yeah, it's still gruesome. And, still- and, and then the trilogy, him against Nick Diaz. In the greatest fight in MMA history, Nick Diaz fought Anderson Silva high on weed, and it went the distance. He's the GOAT, folks. No question about it. So many memories of the UFC in 30 years. Yeah. We can go on and on. We might have to do that as a bonus episode sometime. In the meantime, though, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts, first and foremost, of UFC 295? What was your biggest takeaways from that? Who do you think the champions are now going to be facing as they are now charting their own path in two very high-profile divisions. And then, obviously, this week is the 30th anniversary of the UFC. So what has been your favorite UFC fight throughout the 30 years? I'm expecting a lot of people hit me up on the social media, hit me up on the Patreon. Let me know. We can even do a deep dive about that and kind of maybe we'll do a rewatch or something. I don't know. We'll we'll think of something fun for it. Either way, hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, Pad. What you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, first of which is obviously the local minute and looking at the standings for the Federal Prospects Hockey League. That is, of course, the league where our local Binghamton Black Bears play in and specifically at the Empire Division because, as I've said before, that is a division our Binghamton Black Bears play in. Another week, still in first place. Yes. So uh, with through nine games played, they have a uh, record of six wins in regulation, zero game, zero games lost in overtime. However, they do have three losses in either overtime or shootouts. Uh, They're sitting with 21 points, and they're ahead of Motor City, who is behind them in second place with 19 points. Danbury's in third place with 11 points. Elmira in fourth place with seven points. And then Watertown in last place with six points. Looking ahead, or looking back, I should say, at their schedule from this previous week, uh, had played a couple of games here uh, where they uh, were both of them that were at home. 
Uh, they played the Carolina Thunderbirds for both games. Lost the first game in overtime, uh, five to four. Came back on Saturday though, won by the final score of four to two. Looking ahead to the games they have this upcoming week, uh, they got two games. One of them at home. Home game is Friday, uh, November seventeenth, seven o'clock Eastern, where they are playing the Elmira River Sharks. Uh, and then Saturday, November eighteenth at seven thirty p.m. Eastern, they are on the road playing the Watertown Wolves. However, you don't have well long to wait if you aren't able to catch them Friday because they will be back home on Wednesday, November 22nd for a game at 6 o'clock Eastern against Danbury. Uh, so for more tickets, information, all that good stuff, BinghamtonBlackBears.com. Uh, then we got to mention some baseball awards because uh, they are in the process of getting an announced this week. Uh, the burning has been averted uh, for the for <laughs> thus far. Uh, so a rookie of the year and manager of the year have been announced. I'll get to those in just a minute. But so the finalists for Cy Young Award is uh, for the American League, Kevin Gossman of the Toronto Blue Jays, Sonny Gray of the Minnesota Twins, and Garrett Cole of the American League or for the New York Yankees. The matches have been extinguished for this week, Major League Baseball. Uh, and then in the National <laughs> League, it is Zach Galen uh, from the Arizona Diamondbacks, Blake Snell from the San Diego Padres, and Logan Webb from the San Francisco Giants. And then for American League MVP, the finalists are Shohei Otani from the Los Angeles Angels, Corey Seager from the Texas Rangers, and Marcus Simeon from the Texas Rangers as well. And then in the National League, it is Ronald Acuna Jr. from the Atlanta Braves, Mookie Betts from the Los Angeles Dodgers, and Freddie Freeman from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, for the awards that were announced, uh, yeah, the one that was announced yesterday was Rookie of the Year, and both of these gentlemen won unanimously. So from the American League, it is Gunnar Henderson, uh, the phenomenal uh, player from the Baltimore Orioles. I was going to say from Baltimore, yeah. Baltimore Orioles had a phenomenal year, uh, hit 28 home runs, 9 triples, 82 runs batted in, and scored 100 runs. Hell of a year. Uh, first Baltimore Oriole rookie of the year since, like, the 80s? Mm-hmm. Like, 89 or something crazy like that? So, hey, kudos to him. Uh, and then for the National League, it was Corbin Carroll. Uh, he hit 25 home runs, 54 steals, and made him the first 25-50 rookie in Major League Baseball history. Let's go. Uh, oh, by the way, the Diamondbacks did also make it to the mm-hmm. World Series for the first time in two decades. Yeah, it helps. Yeah, that helps. Uh, you know, so it, it, he is um, the Arizona's first National League Rookie of the Year winner. So, hey, kudos to yeah, him. Yeah, kudos to them about uh, that. And then for the uh, manager of the year in the National League, it was Skip Schumacher of the Miami Marlins. Uh, it was his first year in, as a big league manager. Uh, it was the fourth po- fourth postseason appearance in franchise history. They went uh, 30, uh, 33-14 record in one-run games, uh, and Schumacher became the fourth Marlins skipper to be named manager of the year. Do you remember the last one that I can remember? Marlins? Yes. I think it was Joe Girardi. I think Joe Girardi. I was going to say heavy Girardi. Girardi got it with them. Bizarrely as that is. Uh, And for the American League, it is uh, Brandon Hyde of the Baltimore Orioles. Deservedly so. Yeah. Because you look at what the uh, Baltimore Orioles did last year. They lost 110 games last year. Mm -hmm. Not a good year for them. However, they flipped the script. And they won 101 games this year and won the American League East. Uh, and the, he is the, the full man, franchise's fourth manager of the year winner. So very deservedly so, for I would say, for him. Uh, kudos to both of those guys. Uh, for the other two awards, uh, Cy Young will be announced this upcoming Wednesday. The um, MVP will be announced this upcoming Thursday. Uh, listen, you know my opinion on who I think is going to win American League Cy Young. Yeah, Other, I would otherwise, say so. <laughs> otherwise, I burn this some bitch to the ground. Uh, for the National League, I'm going to guess Blake Snell. 
just going out on a limb. Snell makes sense. I would say it's him, too. For American League MVP, as much as it fucking pains me, it's probably going to be Shohei because, let's face it, Reasons. the writers love Shohei, and yeah. this, this is voted on by the writers. And then for National League, I mean, listen, no disrespect to Mookie or Freddie Freeman. It's going to be Acuna. That dude was... It has to be him. That dude was stealing bases like it was a Black Friday sale at Walmart. Like, it was going out of style. Wow. He, he was nuts this year. And, hey, he's going to earn that MVP award. Yeah, no, he definitely deserves it. He's my vote for it. That, that's my that's my guess. Uh, and then we got to talk a little bit of soccer news, some happy soccer news. An update to a story we brought to you a couple weeks ago uh, regarding Liverpool player Luis Lu, uh, Diaz. Uh, the good news is his father is back. Uh, nice, his nice, fa- nice. His father got returned. Reading from an article on BBC.com, quote, Luis uh, Manuel Diaz, the father of Liverpool striker Luis Diaz, has spoken publicly for the first time since being freed by a Colombian guerrilla group. Mr. Diaz said he was made to walk, quote, too much with little sleep while he was kept in the mountain in a mountainous area. Quote, I would not want anyone to be in that mountain in the situation I was in, he told reporters in a tearful interview. Mr. Diaz was abducted on the 28th of October in his family's hometown of Barrancas in Colombia. In a news conference on Friday, the 58-year-old said those days had been very difficult of very difficult time for him. Colombian police say four people have been arrested for being allegedly responsible for Luis Manuel Diaz uh, kidnapping, according to local media. Police say that after a co-coordinated effort between Colombian and British authorities, a criminal group called Los Primos was dismantled. Mr. Diaz was held a hostage until November 9th when members of the National Liberation Army, ELN, handed him over to United Nations and Catholic Church officials. Police had originally said that a criminal gang was most likely to blame for the kidnapping, but a government delegation later said it had official knowledge that uh, kidnapping had been carried out by a unit belonging to the ELN. Uh, close quote. So definitely a happy ending for him. Very happy. Yes. Uh, there is a video floating around of his, of uh, the Liverpool player getting to reunite and, f- and see his father for the first time since in Lord knows how long. So, hey, definitely a happy ending for those guys and uh, happy to see him b- uh, back reunited together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we were watching the video before we hit air, man. It's yeah. Awesome to see. It's good to see. Absolutely. Uh, very quickly, the kind of round out the sports uh, in the NBA, uh, the Knicks are 500. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely improving uh, in, you know, a very interesting season thus far because. How Phil- about them Clippers? I was going to say the Clippers. <laughs> Holy fuck. I was going to talk about Philadelphia, but that leads right into the Clippers because Philadelphia, blessing in disguise, getting rid of one James Harden. Yeah. Currently eight and one in the standings. Yeah, they are. Right behind them is Boston at eight and two, Indiana, Miami, Milwaukee. And Atlanta round up the top six in the yeah. in the seven to ten range. Orlando, the Knicks, Brooklyn, Toronto. Granted, way too early to go on uh, playoff talk, but yeah, you yeah. know it's very interesting to see. Uh, the Knicks are slowly putting it together, albeit though they still need to get rid of Randall and make some moves. I'm just putting that yeah. out there. Just putting that karma out there. And then on the flip side, Denver is currently the first seed in the Western Conference with Dallas right behind them, Minnesota, Houston, Oklahoma City, Sacramento round up the top six. And Golden State, the Lakers, Phoenix, and New Orleans are in the top ten. And outside looking in, three and six of those L.A. Clippers with one James Harden. Not looking good right now. Just putting that out there. And if I'm not mistaken, on a five-game losing streak. Uh, Looking at the L.A. Clippers, uh, let's see, last ten, they are three and six, and they are on a five-game losing streak. Correct. Yeah, so not exactly uh, things are working out on that side of the fence. Whoops. 
You know, like I say, on the other side, though, the Sixers are sitting pretty on <laughs> and just watching everything go by when on an eight game winning streak. So, hey. like I say, the NBA is still too early. So not getting into a lot of the whole, you know, you know in season tournament, and all that. Jazz. I'll say what? You mean the in season tournament isn't hyping you up and getting you to watch games this early? Nope. What? No, you know what would have been cool if they just said the winner of this is guaranteed a, a seed at, at worst? Mm, okay, and you know, I could get behind If they that. did something like that, I, I think that would be that. more incentive because then you'd see some teams really go A meaningless off. trophy in cash where the players really don't do it for me. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm sorry. Just they're, the, the court's dead for all of 30 seconds until I saw them all, and I went, oh, okay, that, that's enough of that. Yeah, like I said, it's not enough to really keep the attention span. Right. But something that is keeping the attention span is over in the NHL because those New York Rangers are 11-2 and on currently a three-game winning streak. Uh, and currently five points ahead of the Carolina Panthers, Carolina Panthers, Carolina Hurricanes uh, in second place uh, in the Metropolitan Division. Yes, yeah, so big things happening there. But one big thing to close out with, your king, my king, the king, oh. King Henrique. Yes. Inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Deservedly so. Yes, absolutely. So it was amazing to see emotional night, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, during his speech there. And, uh, yeah, just to, if you're not from New York, you, you might not understand his impact. He literally carried the Rangers on his back yeah. into the Stanley Cup Finals yeah. 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 in every single playoff series. I, you know, the only regret is we never got him a ring. Yeah, yeah came that, close. We never got a cup. Took some years off my life, but yeah, oh yeah. yeah, the series against the Kings. Yeah, oh. still to this day. Yeah, still have all yeah. you know a lot of uh, emotions with that one. But you know what? To our King, I mean, properly deserved. I mean, we could just think of the accolades of King Henrique. I'm just hoping that if the if the current team gets there, maybe just maybe. They'll make a spot for him on the roster so he can just be a backup for a day so he can just get out there on the ice and get the cup up yeah. one time. They'll give, him, they'll give him an honorary one. Well, absolutely, because he deserves it. So, like I say, very cool to see him get inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and uh, it's Blue Shirt Nation here all day, every day on the ODPH. So uh-huh. that's the only hockey highlights we have to talk about because they're currently three-game winning streak playing those New Jersey Devils on the 18th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard hey. Time. That being said, for anything and everything, it is the ODPH. You can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J, fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.